Hello and welcome to the debug log number 71. Today we're going to talk about something we do all of the time. Yes, it's make mistakes. Yeah, nobody's perfect. We're all human. Uh, except maybe Eduardo. He is perfect. <laughs> we address that later on, so stay tuned. Um, we found a great article by Tomas Masek, and it's about the top 10 mistakes Unity developers make when they're putting together a project. And this served as a really great jumping off point to share some war stories, you know, some stories from the trenches and all the projects we've done. And, you know, there's a lot of great practical tips in here that you can start using in your game today. Like, do as we say, not as we do. That's the motto of this episode. So hopefully you'll get something out of it. So without further ado, this is the Debug Log, episode 71. I'm already recording. Check, 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 check. Poop, poop, poop. All right. Let's do a clap. Ready? Yeah. All right. Three, two, one. Clap. I said clap at the same Wait, time. Wow, that was like five and a. Like, it doesn't matter if it's all. It just matters if it's around. Hey. That's what she said. Don't die. Oh snap! All right, all right let's get this started. Y'all ready? Uh, ready for this? Burn, burn, burn. What are we doing? <laughs> Do we all just do the same thing? <laughs> You're listening to the Debug Log, a podcast about game development. My name's Andrew Curry. I'm Obino Parra. I'm Zach Schneider. I'm Ryan Kilgore. And I'm Eduardo Castillo Fernandez. Are you really, though, Ryan? <laughs> Ryan forgot who it was. It's a full team. This is the first time we had That's this in a while. That's true. It's been a minute. Yeah. It's actually been a couple of months, so I'm glad everybody's here tonight. We're going to talk about something we all make all the time, mistakes. <laughs> Before we get to that, we have iTunes reviews to read, right? Avina? Yes, we do. I've got an iTunes review right here from Zozzzzzzzzzzz, like six Zs, uh, who says, just getting into Unity 3D. Perfect resource. Five stars. Great info and great personalities. I just started listening and have quickly become addicted. I'm making my way through the back catalog now, and then I'll be bugging them for a new episode. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Joe Z. Yes, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Yes, much appreciated. Again, these iTunes reviews are amazing, and they brighten up our day when we see them come in. We just got a new one in today uh, that we'll read someday down the line. But another great review. They make us happy, and we like reading them. Uh, and they also help us get some sort of extra exposure on the iTunes store, if we keep getting them, I guess. <laughs> so keep bringing them in. Keep sending them. Uh, tell your friends about the podcast. Um, if it helps you, if it you enjoy it, if it makes you laugh, it makes you learn something new about Unity or about game development, um, write a review and share it. All right. That's my spiel. Yeah. You want to make it. us happy, you don't you? Yeah, you want to make yeah. us happy, don't you? What's wrong with you? Why say this for attention? <laughs> All right. Tonight, like I said, we're going to talk about mistakes. And again, there aren't many things we're experts on. We're all five normal developers. We have varying experience in different fields, but I think one thing we're all <laughs> experts on is mistakes that we've made before. Um, Dude, I, I found I a really mistakes. I'm yeah, true. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah, let me yeah. <laughs> certify. Eduardo is the <laughs> he's <laughs> he's the audience surrogate tonight. He's like, what's going on? Mistakes? What are these? Okay. Um, 
<laughs> to give you a reference, he watches fail videos to see how other people fail. <laughs> That's true. <Yeah. laughs> what is it like? <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Yeah, that is bad. He used to watch fail videos for lunch, and we used to joke that he used to eat failure for yeah. lunch. And then you know, <laughs> no, like, but I'm changing that. I'm changing that now. But now he has, uh, yeah. Now you have lunch yeah. with us, which doesn't mean you just get your failure from me and Zach. So I don't know if that's a good. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I like that change. There. <laughs> so, like I said, uh, it's about common mistakes that game developers make. I found a really great article by Tomas Masek. I guess that's how you pronounce his last name. From this is a site called toptool.com. It's like a freelance site, but they have a really great article. And it's entitled The 10 Most Common Mistakes That Unity Developers Make. Um, and I thought this was a really cool discussion point because the 10 things are pretty interesting. I mean, they're not, um, they might not be our definitive 10, but we can talk about that. And they're, they're kind of geared directly toward Unity developers, but we can actually kind of make this applicable to everybody. And we might add some more stuff that we've done in the past. So. We'll just start going through these, all right? Um, number one. This is one that might be one of the biggest ones we've talked about in the past all the time. It's underestimating project planning phase. Yes. we've. I That's, feel like we've said this a thousand times, and we can't say it enough. And I think – did I cut you off? No, 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 no. Go ahead. Okay, good, because I was going to keep going anyway. But anyway, yeah, planning <laughs> – I feel like planning is the – it can be the bane of your existence uh, and uh, the existence of any uh, game developer, game studio, uh, software development studio, any, you know, financial advisor. It could be the bane of anything. The less you plan, the more pressure you're putting on yourself or putting on your team members or putting on the project. So I feel like planning prevents pressure if we want to go with some alliteration – uh, so, I mean, I feel like just to break it down and just give you a, a glimpse into some of my life uh, at, I guess, Sprockets and some of the planning woes that we faced. Uh, I know one thing that we happened recently was um, we, oh, actually, not so recently, but when we, we had our, we started our game out in like portrait mode. <laughs> so we like, we planned this game in portrait mode on device. This is a mobile game. Uh, and then planning for resolution, right? Yeah, that's yeah. So we, we orientation. Yeah, we planned for orientation. I was like, oh, that's a that's sol- it's a solid plan. So, but then if you if you're not like thinking about okay, how will you know how will this you know the map look on this or how will the user interact with our certain systems in our game and does that really work for portrait? And then when you ask that question, uh, ask yourself that question, and the answer is no then that leads to a lot of problems when you're now switching into landscape mode. And then that affects, you know, it has cascading effects on the entire game, whether it's, you know, your level design, your character design, or, you know, your UI. So everything had to change. So planning for, you know, planning your orientation even is is huge. And it just has cascading effects and can drastically change the entire scope of your game if you do not plan ahead of time and sit down and take time to plan. Uh, a bit of a rant there, and I may have missed some of our, our more broader points that were in the article, but I'll let you well, guys no. pick up. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, you, you bring up an interesting point in that, uh, I mean, it sounds like in the article, it, it's, it's much more, I guess, it almost seems more absolute up front, like, you know, plan your vertex budgets, your, your like your resolutions, your orientations, your LODs, all that up front. And you should try to do that well, and, as and, best and as possible. I, yeah, I would real quick just say the articles. These are kind of based on a develop like a programmer's standpoint, like a developer's right. That's kind of true standpoint. Too, yeah. yeah, yeah, he's a C sharp developer, so it, it's mostly from an engineering perspective, it seems. But I mean, even even still, though, I th- you know I feel like you should try to hit those targets. Try to like you know give your artists you know the groundwork or something to work within. But like you illustrated, Obina, it's like 
you can't always do that. Like, I mean, you can try your best, but like, you know, orientation may change. Somebody switches up how the camera is placed. Now you see more or less of the level, you know, then, then your, your vertex budgets may like shift around between characters and scene and, you know, or you may get some new technology for post effects and things like that. Now you're saying, okay, well, we're going to run these post effects, which means we need to reduce like maybe things in the scene now so we can get this flashy new effect. Um, so while I appreciate him sort of like saying, yes, definitely plan and try. I mean, mm-hmm. don't don't like kill yourself with it or or don't let that take the place of actually doing something and experimenting because, you know, things are going to change. Things constantly change. Yeah, so. ex- exactly. You mentioned like just technology and like for post effects and just literally when you're thinking of how rapidly technology changes and when you try to say, hey, I'm going to plan for, you know, X device or X phone or X system or X graphic card. That can change, you know, by the time you hit, you know, alpha or even before you hit alpha. You know, those those uh, technology changes happen so rapidly that it's kind of hard. It's not impossible, but it's hard to, uh, I guess, depending on your team size and your trajectory or your burn down or whatever you, you're using to planning or plan for your project. It can change drastically and, and you have to just take into account that game development is like we always say it's very fluid very 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 watery i guess and you know it's kind of hard to plan for everything yeah especially and, well and 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 i was gonna say too real quick that um because zach and i are making our game we've talked about we had we had discussions about different programming best practices and stuff and like sometimes he'll do something one way and i'll do i'm used to doing something some way else and then we've had a discussion sometimes like well this is the best way that people like a best practice in programming to do this way object oriented or do this you know blah 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 and we've had the like kind of question we both questioned before it's like why should we do it this way you know what i mean like if it's getting the job done this way if we're kind of hard coding this is fine mm-hmm. but as a programmer the way, the reason why it's great to make things modular and great make things generic is because that is like defensive programming mm-hmm. for poor planning. Yeah, yeah. So you go like, oh, you want to do that to that system? No problem. We can do that. Excellent. No problem. You know, that's true. Because you don't know. You don't as a programmer. You don't. I mean, if it's your new project, you do. But as a programmer, you don't have control over what the design you know requirements. Right. Are but I, at the same time, I agree with you on the defensive coding and modularity, which I think he gets into later in the article. But I find that to be sort of a different ballpark than actually what your artists can achieve or like what you're trying <laughs> right, to push true, true, to tech wise. But I totally agree with you on those other aspects. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and not only on the engineering side, but from the uh, business standpoint, uh, planning allows you to determine if the game is going to sell um, or like you, you will study the market and those type of decisions that um, you have to make when you're planning and you might not have in mind if you just start making the game and uh, like hope, well, we will finish it whenever we finish and you're going to run out of budget, and uh, you will have to scratch a bunch of um, progress that you made in your progress and start again, things like that. Um, you want to fail. If you're going to fail, you want to fail as soon as possible to go back and start uh, from scratch in, in the right direction. Yes. Yes. Word. All right. All right. Number two, we got to go through these. Or we're going to talk about all that's like true. twenty minutes of these. <laughs> number two is working with unoptimized models, and I think we've all had an experience with this before. When you're kind of doing <laughs> oh, yes. something fast, and even getting stuff from the asset store and stuff, you've had problems with this, Zach. How you trying to make stuff work from different sources in the asset store? Right? Oh yeah. Like when when I bought um, uh, what was it? Like you buy uh, like a turret or something, and then you buy um. 
like say like a building and you put them both in and they're both on way different scales and having to scale things down or even uh buying things that are like meant to be architectural models and their um their textures are like you know like 8k you're like wait that why do i need an 8k texture on this it's going to go in a game so it's really important to to really optimize the things that are going into your into your game oh and also yeah. if you're making a game oh, sorry Andrew, uh for yeah. for a mobile uh and you're importing objects from the asset store or somewhere else um check for end <clears throat> guns and stuff like that oh yeah so yeah because I have yeah, a problem. Also, I actually, Sag was the one who told me about that. Yeah, yeah so, that goes uh, for. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, yeah, like asset store or like your native three D modeling suites too, like whatever your artist or whomever is using, because you know everything may like hunky dory in that, and then all of a sudden you export and pull it in. It's like, why is the dude like you know ten times the size of our biggest building? It's like we're not making it a Godzilla game, you know. So yeah, all of a sudden you get these like whoa moments where you're like, all right, what did you set it to? Minches were in meters, dude. You know. Yeah. Yeah, we had a big problem with Engon to the 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 company where I work. We were uh, our upper management forced us to buy some assets off of uh, like Turbo Squid or something, and uh, when we pulled them into Unity, we were getting really poor performance off of something that had you know relatively low poly count. And then we pulled it into Maya. And we saw okay, we have like 138 n-gons, which is where you can't break it down into like triangles. So it it once we fixed those, the the application which was running at like 14 frames frames per second went right up back up to 60. So. Yeah, that's always fun. We, we actually, Obina, that you know, the project uh, you're on, I was on. Uh, we, I guess, we were on at one point. Um, <laughs> we actually had that with one of the characters there. Where even getting it from an internal source, you run into oh, these yeah, things. I remember. Uh, yeah, where it's like you you start playing the game, and all of a sudden, like, okay, I'm playing it with uh, blah, the witch doctor. Okay, that seems all right. That seems fine. Frame rates are good. All mm-hmm. of a sudden, you bring in like the archer, and you're like. Why is this dog shit all of a sudden? And you start opening it up and, or looking in Unity or Visual Studios, like draw calls and doing it frame by frame. You're like, oh my God, you know, the, the archer or whatever has like 120 draw calls, whereas like the witch doctor had 10. And then you find out whoever created that asset, they just kind of slap together all these individual meshes and all, you know, and it just, it, 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 it's not tenable, you know, it wasn't designed for mobile or just wasn't designed well. And so you're losing a whole 10 frames a second just by having an unoptimized character. Yeah, so I say the, the advice part of this, the best thing is to do is just, if it's like an internal thing, you have models you're working with or people, it's just have communication, right? Have right. some kind of standard of how Plan. how many things, yeah, the Z-axis pointing for all that stuff. It's like, like even, to, even to like the asset naming conventions and stuff. Yeah. Right. Oh, those so are like, so crucial for imports a lot of the time. Oh, yeah. Because even sometimes the artists aren't, aren't on the same page either, right? They do different things and that's what you're dealing with too. So I, I think just communication and really... Like the same way you'd make a design guide for a brand, you know, how to show the logo, what colors are used. You'd need to do it for the kind of technical specs of the stuff that you get. So Right on. Because they don't know. Nobody knows until you tell them. Word. All right, oh, number oh, three. Quick quick, quick uh, aside. Okay, uh, just since we were talking about just optimizations, but we kind of just stayed in 3D world. And I just wanted to point out, like, same is uh, applicable applicable to UIs and textures. I think maybe Zach did mention textures, but just making sure you optimize and 
pay close attention to UIs as well, even scale on UIs and don't have like varying scales on UIs where it's all confusing. Like, oh, do I need to put this at, you know, 200 scale on the UI just to make it look proper uh, or show it properly on the screen space or world space or right. whatever. So, and using like atlases or, you know, sprite packers, all that stuff we've mentioned in our, I guess, our two UI episodes, but just making sure you optimize those stuff as well. Yeah, make the, sure the people are exporting from Photoshop and that stuff for a while, and it's not a full-on JPEG that's 30 megs. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, all that stuff's important. All right, number three, mistake, common Unity mistake number three is building interdependent code architecture. We kind of mentioned this before, but building systems, I guess, that like actually, you know, all are calling something from another class. They're not, you're not making a modular generic design. It's less... It's a little more functional, but it's also kind of a weird combination because it's tying, it's making a big spider web, a rat's nest is what I call it, of code. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like you can really get in a, what is it, pickle, I guess? You can get in a pickle with a Unity. Quandary. Yeah, you can get in a quandary with uh, Unity, especially with just how easy it is and how people really learn how to use this component model where you can just attach game ops or components to any game object you want to uh, in the scene. Blindly send messages through whatever. Exactly. Like, what going on? And, and then you look at it two months later and you're like, or a week later and you're like, what is, what was I doing? Well, what, what, you know, what's calling what? And like sometimes just on a UI button, like if you're picking up somebody else's project, you're like, where are they sending this message? Yeah. It's like, I don't know where this is coming from at all. You know, it becomes difficult. Exactly. I see that one as a, a bigger on more frequent uh, problem than, than uh, building an independent code architecture. Because since Unity gives you the, the possibility to write code or do like trigger events on the UI, sometimes you just do it on the UI, sometimes you just do it on code, and there's a point where you're like, um, where is this going? Like Andrew said, and yeah. So yeah. It's I feel like, just to, uh, also I'll break it out into some of the Unreal uh, folks out there, because I'm starting to work, play in Unreal, and just, it's almost like the same kind of mm. quandary you can have in Unreal, is that uh, where you start doing blueprints versus you know writing it in C++, or uh, you know, just I guess, native source code. And you sometimes just need to learn how to not always do something on just UI or UI triggers or mechanism or just, you know, doing it one way when, you know, you need to find the better way or the best way to make sure the code makes sense and and is, you know, reusable in the future. So, yeah, I just, I'd like to sort of add to that too. Don't be afraid to like write your own libraries and plugins, you know, something that's sort of modular and you pop in. I mean, Unity is a like they provide great mechanisms for that. That way, you know, like the functionality you do have plugged into a UI or a network layer or something like that. It's like you can sort of plug and play that stuff and, you know, it, it can be used in Unity or maybe you can pop it out and use it in Unreal or some other project you have. I mean, so, you know, that portability is great. Not, and that also kind of helps give a modular design to your code. So like you guys said, you're not like firing messages all over or like just make... That, that reference had better be there on that object when I go get it and, you know, exactly. try to access it, you know, and or I, else the world dies. Yeah, exactly. And I think the core problem with that, every trying to message everything, I think the issue with Unity specifically is everyone, I feel like people are, are kind of drawn and to making everything a mono behavior when it doesn't necessarily have to be a mono behavior. It could right. just be a regular, you know, C sharp class object that you're messing with. And it could, you could build a whole huge system without ever having... Uh, a mono behavior on that so 
You need There's been a quick question not related to this. Uh, how, how, uh, um, no, no, how you doing? not that. You're really, yeah, how are you doing? <laughs> What's your favorite no. type of cheese? <laughs> oh my sorry, sorry sorry. Uh, how, uh, what's the difference between like, uh, blueprints and C sharp in, in terms of, uh, like, and power and and things that you can do. No, I think I think the power and I feel like uh, I, I kind of equate it to uh, what I did with Unreal at you know Sprocket. Oh, well, you know it's just like that. I think it's just called. Um, I forgot that framework, but it, it's uh, FlowScript. You know where you can have these public playmakers. The one in Unity. Yeah, playmaker right? is the other one. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's just kind of having that at, that uh, ability to hook up. Um, it's a good tool for designers, but it uh, again, a lot of engineers use it as well because it it's there and it's helpful. And they have a lot of clean cut and and I guess compact modules that do what you want to do. Like uh, you know, you could do if statements or conditionals, or you can do loops. You could do you can do pretty much everything you want to. And what Blueprints allows you can do, you can create your own classes in C plus um, plus and have like the header files that and make certain aspects of your class. Uh, publicly accessible and usable in blueprints. So you can make your own custom blueprint, I guess, class, I guess. So that's where it's sort of like, you know, FlowScript and Playmaker. I don't know if I answered your question, but I don't think power is a right, I guess, word for it. Because I think you can make blueprints powerful. Okay. As powerful as you need it to be. Yeah, I mean, cool. like, thank you, thank you. to sort of piggyback of that, I mean, it it is C++, so technically it could be more, if you talk about powerful performance-wise, depending on your memory management and, you know, how you're doing things, maybe, but I think the big powers derived, like Obina said, as it turns into, like, a flow script or just a general scripting or logic interface for a designer, that way they don't have to worry about what's kind of behind it. Yeah. Okay. Got it. All right. All right. <laughs> sorry <laughs> sorry Andrew <laughs> that's alright alright number four the common unit mistake is wasting your performance um, this can be a thing where you know uh, this one I, I was a little weird about because a lot of times they teach you don't worry like, you optimize later and stuff and this one is it's not necessarily about later or before this is just saying not optimizing at all in a certain sense right with things that can be easily optimized with like kind of simplifying your update loops and instantiations and your rendering and stuff like that um so but this is important <laughs> if you're just saying optimizing and wasting your performance this is a big mistake that some people like especially if you're just getting into this and you're learning how to functionally make things work and you're like, why is this screwed up? Like, you know, Zach said with his model or whatever, but just it could be happening because you're doing crazy calculations and something that don't need to happen all on the main thread. Yeah. That can be something that people run into. I think I think this is a common mistake because I think it's a common mistake. <laughs> I think people, like when you said, uh, you mentioned like optimize later, I feel like a lot of people- They always say that though, but it can be, it can bite you in the ass. Yeah, and right. I think the thing is, what this is trying to do is you need to, like having- you need be, being cognizant of your programming practices, like using for each loops, which actually there's an article that was recently shared in our, our work slack, but about how the for each is getting better with unity five, six, right. Uh, yeah. And their improvements to mono, I guess. Um, but it, it's just like being cognizant of how you're allocating things or how you're, you know, referencing that transform, uh, you know, doing get transform every update loop or, or, Oh, actually there's a, these are subsections, so we should definitely share this article. But yeah, like in update loops, if you're constantly 
uh, pulling out uh, a transform on a game object instead of, you know, caching that transform out maybe in the start method or the awake method or doing something where you're not doing something every frame uh, that you shouldn't be doing and just wasting performance. Uh, yeah, yeah if you're not taking advantage of stuff like the static batching stuff, or like like you said with Atlas sprite sheets, and because I'm not, you might be just throwing images in there and doing stuff, but actually not because that that kind of the problem with Unity, it is so easy to just load stuff in there and go that you can forget that you're not it's like that you have cr- totally unoptimized parts of your code and parts of your program. Yeah, and, and another thing, I think Zach maybe touched on that. I can't remember now uh, who said this, but like um. Ah, oh, dang it! I just it just slipped my mind. But when you're when you're um when you're doing creating a system, I guess, and you find a way that works and say, "Hey, this works. This does what I needed to do. It it's uh, looks good. Uh, it even looks great." But it's it's the least performant way of doing it. And I think that's a kind of uh, I guess this is why a common mistake because sometimes you don't want to just do. Just because it works, uh, because it could cause uh, later or later effects because of that performance hit or you know the overdraw. Like uh, I think recently at our office we were doing a meta HUD. Like when you're low health, you draw this red, you know, haze on the screen or blood splash or something like that. So you do this meta HUD. So we were just doing an overdraw, just completely wiping the screen with this red tint on the UI, uh, which was just just way too much. And instead of doing it more performant way, which is just using the shader. But again, the thing is, I guess is these kind of common mistakes, like a full sized alpha image. Yeah. A full size alpha image. Yeah. And just blurring out <laughs> the reds. At a phone's resolution too. Oh uh, yeah. At a yeah. phone's resolution. So it was like a huge texture, just wasted, you know? Uh, so anyway, yeah, I've had instances of that where, uh, artists have given me, like, I think at one point we had like a, a pharmacy scene and each one of the like tubes of toothpaste and and toothbrushes were all individual instances of an object rather than a prefab of a bunch of project a bunch of objects grouped together so when unity went to render that our draw call was like in the like the like 5000 and then ah. once you batch all of those yeah. down oh it was bad <laughs> but once you go and, and batch all those together then you you're looking at a draw call of like well it's still pretty high but um is it got down to about a thousand but we I mean you you look at that in Maya you go oh it's fine it works it works great in Maya and then you put that in Unity oh okay never mind this is not going to work so (laughs) oh yeah so also speaking on I guess overdraw and draw calls is you know the topic of shaders and for Unity's Specifically, uh, you know, a lot of people are using Shader Forge and you know those other Shader node-based languages or tools, uh, which for I think maybe people already know this, but just it's really good prototyping, and sometimes it, it could be good for in production as well. But there's a lot of Shader unperformant shaders, and I think Dan Moran on our making stuff look good with Dan Moran episode, he talked about this and how Shader Forge, you know, using tools like Shader Forge is, is good for usually prototyping, but you also want to sometimes, especially when you're talking about uh, developing for platforms like uh, a mobile device or, I don't know, um, I wouldn't say VR because that's actually high-end, but just like making sure that's performant, uh, performant shader by usually rewriting those Shader Forge um, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, they generally generate a lot of overhead is what he was saying. Even if, like, even if you're in a situation where it's, like, on a PC or a more performant place than even a mobile device, it's just, like, 
you know, it just the nature of it being sort of automated and, you know, mm-hmm. WYSIWYG type of thing. Yeah. I mean, it just, it generates too much sometimes. So you can go in there and trim the fat pretty much all the time. Yeah. Well, I guess because of that, um, like, that's why Unity created a specific section of shaders just for mobile because the original ones, like, were too expensive. Yeah. Right. Yes. All right. So the next three kind of are related to optimization stuff. So number six, number five, sorry, is ignoring garbage yeah. collection problems. Yeah. <laughs> Not counting correctly. Um, Off by one. Uh, <laughs> ignoring garbage collection problems. And this this can be a big deal because everybody can think sometimes that garbage collection can save them. But with ga- and with normal applications and, you know, apps and stuff, that's true because it's like it doesn't matter. But with games that are real time and need to be fluid. Like again, I'll mention my crappy game. It'll be in a, uh, <laughs> this has got that so was on many a, legs. That was on a three hundred and sixty. I had a problem with this specifically because that was on a three hundred and sixty on like on the television, and it was a powerful thing. And I was even developing on the PC, so it was powerful. But it was like one of those ca- it was sixty frames a second. It was like a cave runner, and and I, it's just like asteroids coming at you and other things coming at you. And you're doing it, and it. And you would think it's like this is just a few like sprites and stuff. You know, these are in the sprite sheets and it has some backgrounds a little bit bigger, but I mean I just played, you know, at that time I just played Red Dead Redemption on the same machine, you know, and it ran fine. So it's like, why would I have a problem with this? But as I played it, you'd see it. Like because the movement was so fluid and you're watching this thing just fly by at the exact same rate, whenever that garbage collection hit in, because I was just instantiating asteroids, instantiating objects. And whenever it kicked in, you'd see it. You go, Ugh! And it hits for a second, and you're like, and that might just be a weird game developer because you notice your game so much, but that's a problem, you know what I mean, if you want to make your thing. So then I, for this, I had to go and make, you know, like, the biggest thing with garbage collection, avoid instantiations and make object pools and all that stuff. So it, it can become an issue even, even in games where you don't think the performance will be an issue. Yeah. Just because it's real time, it needs to be smooth. Especially 60 frames a second. Yeah. Um, all right. Next, related to that is number six is optimizing memory and space usage last. Yeah, we kind of touched on this a little bit. And just textures how textures and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sometimes how we kind of try to offload this as a last thing, like worry about it last. You know, don't worry about trying to optimize for memory or space or did it, yeah, et cetera. And we <laughs> see that too. Is like, <laughs> I know we see this at work because it's like, it's only, this is a mobile app. It's only like you start the project and it's bare and you put a few things in and you're doing like, you put some initial stuff into what's required. And it's like, it's only a gig so far. It's like, that's a lot. And then it's by the end of it, it's like, it's six gigs. And it's like, we, something needs to happen now because that's when it does happen. And, you know, you, that's when you go back and like, what are these videos, you know, exported at? What are these things? So, I mean, again, we have a lot of different issues because we have a lot of video related apps that have videos in about like embedded into them. But it's, it's true. It's like, it's not just like thinking about it last to fix it at the end. It's putting together strategies for, you know, that stuff at the beginning, I think. Exactly. So when you start talking about, like, you know, doing things on mobile we're and talking about space usage and, you know, I think for, was it Android, you can, your download has to be what? Under 100 megs. 30? 100, 100 megs. 100 megs, yeah. Before you have to, like, break it out into different... What's that file extension? OGB, OBB, something like that. Anyway, oh. but... But yeah, it's just like you have to really plan for. Then you have to like look into things like I guess acid bundles is another thing that's Unity specific mm-hmm. as well, and just how you manage space that way. And that's also another optimization that you need to keep in mind. 
uh, how big your asset bundles are because you don't want to have a user downloading, you know, eight gigs of like they would never do that, but eight gigs of memory <laughs> or or of assets from uh, some CDN. Um, anyway, so yeah, and then all again, no. like we said, go ahead. No, no, I mean, you bring up a really good point because, I mean, if you want to keep under those, you know, 100 meg limits, you're going to, I mean, if you're in Unity, it's really wise to use the asset bundles, and then there's whole systems that need to be created to manage that, you know, so that's mm-hmm. something you need to think about up front is like, oh, well, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to have to, you know, cache these asset bundles, but I'm also going to have to bust the cache occasionally, and like, what are the dependencies the set up? Yeah. <laughs> but what, are, yeah, what are the dependencies set up between them? Because like you said, are you going to be downloading, oh, I've got like, like three, like two hundred meg bundles, or which now the the player may be waiting up front for these like two hundred megs to download, even though the initial app size was under a hundred. But you start doing something more intelligently, like creating systems of dependency finders to say, okay, these dependency finders spider out, and then they'll kind of like package up the asset bundles in such a way to where you know they're small, like in smaller bite sized pieces, and then your game yeah. can determine dependencies and download it as needed. So now you're only downloading maybe. Five megs of like upfront, but it all needs to be thought about, you know. Yeah, and it's actually, not something you can put off that long. So for real, and that definitely happened to me. I can't remember the game name, and I wouldn't even say it because that's I don't want to shit on another game. But I remember downloading it. It was like, oh look, it was like one of uh, it wasn't on the the featured app, but it was just an app on the game list. And I downloaded it, and then you logged in. So the game downloaded really quickly, and I started logging in. It's like, okay, well, you have to wait for this download. And it was taking forever. It was like 20% after like 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm not doing this. So I just had to close it. And I was like, that's like just too big of a download to have people wait through. So dependencies yeah, and, and doing all that is like crucial. Yeah, there's revenue lost right there. And exactly. also, one, you know, one thing actually we learned at uh sprockets recently too in the past couple months is a scene bundling too like on top of just general assets you can also bundle your scenes so if you have something like a complex scene like an environment or something like that you don't want to package in with the app because it's pushing it over that 100 meg boundary boundary definitely look into like packaging up your scenes and streaming them as well so exactly very cool all right number seven the common unity mistakes we all make is common physics mistakes and this comes up because if you're using Unity or Unreal or any of those, if you're using something that's a kind of robust engine, it's set up to be a physics engine from the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. So if you put stuff in there, like you're just like, well, I'm just making this little 2D thing or it has nothing to do with physics or some kind of UI or like maybe not UI, but like maybe in the old days with the UI stuff. So it's like, but you can forget that, you know, <laughs> if you put colliders and stuff on all your objects, that's that's going to recalculate physics. If you you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and if you if you change, if you're putting like custom mesh colliders on objects and they don't really need it, they can use like a primitive thing. That's going to mess with it. Like this comes in like this one kind of really boils down to, to colliders are really expensive. <laughs> right? Yeah, because if you think about it, each like every time you add one. It's sort of like an almost an exponential growth, I think, because it's like, oh, well, I've got two. Well, they check against each other. Now I've got three. Now, you know, it's each one checks against the other two. It's like so every collider is checking against N minus one colliders in a scene if everything's moving around. So you can see how that can sort of get out of control fast if you're not careful. And you don't realize, too, that it's not because you're like, well, this is the beefy machine. Who cares? But this isn't happening on that big old graphics card of yours. This is happening on the CPU, right? Yeah. So that's where those calculations are happening, and so that's where I mean, you're that's where it can become a bottleneck where you didn't actually expect to be to happen. Yeah, that reminds me uh, when I was starting uh, learning game development like three years ago. Uh, like 
my I want to make a fighting game that doesn't have like collider problems, like collision detection problems. And when I learned about uh, mesh collider, I was like, "What the hell is the problem with everybody? You just put a mesh collider in everything, <laughs> and it works perfectly." Mm-hmm. <laughs> Until I realized that, yeah, performance issues. Yeah. Yeah. I love these three thousand poly characters in my customizer <laughs> that matches it. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Nothing you can make. Yeah, these people are idiots. <laughs> I got this done with a button click. Yeah. yeah, so that that's a, yeah, the advice there. Just be aware of that stuff, and you know, watch some cool videos and tutorials about that stuff because it'll make you just because, like I said, it's they're they're intrinsically a three D physics space, right? When you load up the just a bare Unity scene, so anything you add to that with certain kind of effects can get stuff loaded in on it, you know, automatically. So just be warned. Yeah, I actually, so. just wanted to point out real quickly, and they mentioned this in the articles, just about using, you know, I think a lot of Unity developers may know this. But using doing your physics calculations within the fixed update loop, because I remember running into a problem actually pretty recently where on, on mobile we were having issues um, moving. We were like moving, you know, with touch input, moving the camera, um, and we're actually doing like you know tweening it with you know rigid body, so it was like moving and dragging, had all that stuff. So the issue was we were doing all that in update loop for the actual camera movement. Uh, but the issue with that, it was just, so we were, when we did the, our touch input, it was just jittering a lot on the, on the device. So we had to move that to late update because we wanted all that to, all that camera work to happen after all those, you know, physics calculations done and, you know, everything else was done before, you know, moving the actual camera. So it would actually happen smoothly. So pay attention to your update loops, all the loops that Unity offers, fixed update, update, late update, you know, all that stuff. So pay attention and keep track, I guess. So you don't get run into shit straight. Get your shit no straight. No one to use so your loops. End up like me. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Number eight is this is a good one. This is what we all do: manually testing all functionality. Um, <laughs> this is this testing is that we did an episode of testing, right? This is a big problem with game development because sometimes it's not as easy to do. <clears throat> It can't, I mean, maybe sometimes it's a myth too that's not easy to do testing, but it's sometimes it's not easy to do testing with just an open world kind of thing or um, whatever, you know, the scope of it can get too big and play testing's the only way, but um, manually testing all functionality is something where it's like, we've all done it too, or we've done it at our work where he's like, all right, I think I got this done. Let me just go through it real quick. Oh, yeah, it works. Nice. Ship it. <laughs> you're like, you're like uh, the thing broke immediately when I chose the exact other option than you did. It's like, okay. Uh, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this is this how do you guys do you, how do you guys deal with the testing in your daily huh. work? Kicking the QA. (laughs) That's kind of it, though. It's kind of like, I mean, it is like, I mean, manually testing is kind of, that is, so they just say, well, we'll mass manually test it, basically. That's the only thing we can do sometimes, right? Yeah, Yeah, I I mean, mean, it is a lot of the time, um, but I mean, there's stuff you can do, like, locally as well, like, you know, like, there's unit tests you can run in Visual Studio or, like, Unity's got some testing tools as well. Um, and then there's just like, if you're like, we've actually with, um, you know, a 3D multiplayer game, it's kind of hard to just, you know, run through all the scenarios as one person, especially if you're trying to load test or something like that. So we create sort of headless clients that sort of run routines and report back like, you know, their successes on logging in or doing, you know, buying items or things of that nature. So you definitely try to automate it as much as you can sometimes for certain things. But sometimes you just need that manual pair of eyes on it, too, and that interaction for like look and feel. 
And they also, he kind of makes the point in the article kind of implicitly in the part of the end. He talks about just, yeah, he talks about even just in a code level, try to handle exceptions and handle problems where you can, you know, and test stuff and just handle different situations just because he says the, any t- the more time you spend just in the editor and play mode is wasted time that you really ac- actually might not be solving the problem and be doing other stuff. And it doesn't really, he's, his argument is that it doesn't actually do anything, you know, to test it or actually find out if that could work in different situations. So it's a good point. It's a good point. Um, number nine is another big one, Zach. We already kind of mentioned this before. Mm-hmm. It's thinking Unity Asset Store plug. We, we have this problem work. Thinking Unity Asset Store <laughs> plugins will solve all of your problems. It's it's a lie. It's a lie. It will solve some of your problems, but it will not solve all of your problems. And it will cause more um, of them. <laughs> yeah, oftentimes it causes more because, like, it, especially when when you're looking at old assets and things like that, when things get deprecated with new versions of Unity. Uh, especially when you're you're switching between platforms a lot like i've had things that uh for instance video players like um i'm not sure they just released 5.6 right um yes. yeah. did they fix the 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 problem with the video player in in yeah uh, i think they did in the previous version actually it's like 5 5 or something something well that had a, that had for beta but now they officially released it so i haven't checked oh, okay. it. it should be working better now anyway it's changing um, well we we were using a uh, a a previous version of a of a um a video player from uh the unity asset store which uh <sighs> got deprecated actually several times <laughs> within unity cuz what we were doing was we picked one version of unity okay we, we said okay we're going to be using this version of unity for this project and then uh we we started a new project and said oh well we'll just use the same plugin for this project but this project started in 5.5, right? So when we loaded it up, it was all deprecated, didn't work anymore, and we're, you know, up a creek without a paddle. So, yeah, that that it can be. The, the, uh, yeah, that this comes between that argument always about like you know the programmers like the don't reinvent the wheel, just use something else. But the problem with that is that, especially with. I don't know, like in more traditional programming worlds, probably with .NET and, you know, especially with web dev, especially in something like Ruby or Node or something, there's there's a module and plugin ecosystem that is very standardized and very robust. And I'm not saying the asset store isn't, and it has a lot of cool stuff in there, but the, the standardization of updates and standardization of like when things are updated to certain levels and it'll work with all these other plugins, that is not standard you know what i mean like the compatibility across the board with other stuff you're using is not so i i don't know what that 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 in, that inkling is when you're like i think you just get so frustrated and you're like oh my god i found this thing it's only ten dollars mm-hmm. and it says it'll work and it's like it says it works on mobile and it says it does that and then you just forget about like just because your code is shitty and hard to work with doesn't mean another person's isn't shitty and hard to <laughs> yeah, work with exactly because you still have to get that and figure it out and then you're like oh shit hold on this doesn't even work either and then and and this I'm not saying there's a lot of great stuff in Unity Store and it's a cool resource to play with stuff, but then a lot you just got to be aware and make sure because most of that a lot of even some of the best plugins you know we talked to Tech Smash Pro guy you know they're made by one person in his case it's amazing because he's an awesome you know on it and if you can read the reviews you can really tell how they are with customer service and staying on it and updating. Actually, but you funny, really have to pay attention to that stuff. I think. Funny thing about that, actually, didn't Unity recently purchase TechSmash Pro? Right, they yeah, just uh-huh. bought they bought yeah. them out. Yeah, we. So. It's funny we were actually going through at the office, like, so we we had the the you know the we bought the license for TechSmash Pro, and then so now Unity has it. I think in five six, 
Yeah. But well, no, it's now, not in there yet. They just made it free for now, and they're right. trying to integrate it. Yeah. So, yeah. Right, but like ours for 5.6, we've got that old version that's like, well, do we try to upgrade that, or do we try to integrate the new one? So now we're in this sort of weird transition period yeah. where we're, we're leaning on a technology, and it's like, well, which way do we go? You know, Do we try to get support for the old one to bring it up to par, or do we try to go back and rework everything that's integrated in our UI with that to match the new free stuff? So... I yep. guess it's the yeah. same situation that happened with uh, Angui. Uh, well, Ingui, Ingui still exists, though, and Ingui is different from Yugui, though. So, I mean, yeah, that, that guy, that, that was a weird story because I don't need to know because that guy did go work there and then he left. and then. But, yeah, so it, it can just be, like Zach said, the biggest thing, too, is like it might solve all your problems now, <clears throat> but what happens when iOS updates? What happens when Unity updates? Right. Are they going to be on that, right on that? Do they have enough people? Like, I don't, sometimes I don't know if there's thousands of people who have that plug-in. There might be 50, and I don't know how motivated they are to update. So we've had that plenty of problems. I mean, you can get that problem with big companies. We all had that issue at our company with Parse, you know, that got bought by Facebook, and they shut them yeah. down. Parse was like, oh, they're going to be around forever. This is going to be great, and it really makes our lives easier. I mean, what they're doing is, you know, making like interface for just doing HTTP calls and doing like a simple database on top of a MongoDB thing. Not something we couldn't set up within a month's time, you know, like saying, okay, we could probably set up our own little data storing system and stuff, but it's so easy and it works immediately. Yeah. You can do parts in a day. Yeah. Yeah. And they're bought by one of the biggest companies in the world and they're staying around forever. And they're just like, ah, that's boring to us now. We got Oculus. Who cares? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like, like, I don't know what the parts is like, It'll be nice to laugh at that. Parse updated their UI for just their site every day. They really did. <laughs> they really did. It's like they love this product, and then immediately like, nope, we're done. So again, that just be careful. What anytime you're using a third, not just Unity Asset Store, anytime you're using a third party thing, always I think, and maybe not, you know, a big huge plan, but always have some kind of contingency ideas. Like, okay, if that did happen, we could spend this amount of time and scramble. You know. Yeah. Okay. All right, the last one is number 10, having no need to extend Unity basic functionality. How's that a mistake? Well, this, well, I think this one's a mistake. I mean, this is one I do all the time because I, I haven't super got into all this stuff as well. It's, I think it's just, I think it's a mistake of like opportunity and not actually, like actually, you know, streamlining your workflow and all these other things. Like if you're making a, if you're making a crazy ass like public variables or you know serialized variables and it's just like eighty miles long and you're not actually making cool little range things or if you're not using the features that are there, which means you can like actually you know tie into that and make it easier for you to edit things on the fly in the editor. He's saying that that's a mistake because you could probably save time. Yeah, I yeah, think- and, and look at it from a higher level too. Is like. You're you're already like your engineers and your artists are probably going to be have Unity open at some point and touching that. So actually integrating tools into that ecosystem, like you know, ex- extending the UI, you know, making certain you know things that can maybe even kick off a build to device or like maybe test or generate some sort of data for you. It's right, like right. you're already there. So why open up like an external application or rewrite it from the ground up in C sharp or you know whatever your you know. It's like it's like if you use like a, if you're making a two D like tile based game or something and you're using like tiled or something which is a great program it's awesome and you can do you know export structured data where you can import that in any program and kind of interpret it 
But it's easy to kind of make a title editor. There's a, there's a Linda course about making a title editor in Unity. It's just saying that if you're doing stuff a lot, yeah, you know, try to optimize where it's like, oh, you know what? I could act, that actually is possible to meet to make that inside of Unity, you know, if it's not that big a deal and I have time. Yeah, because yeah, Unity's... Uh, Go ahead, Owen. I'm just saying, like Unity's uh, editor tools or editor, Unity editor environment, I guess, is good for like we've mentioned automation, but it's and I think we've also mentioned yeah, but it's good for just design and, and helping you know bridging that gap and making it easy and intuitive for designers to you know create whatever they want to create. I mean, hell, um, like things like FlowScript or things like um, what's the one you said? Uh, Paradoxation. Uh, Andrew, the one that the node based the tile map stuff. Tile. No, what? whatever. Anyway, playmaker. Just those <laughs> I don't know what you did. <laughs> just those tools. What do you want general. us to say? <laughs> what do you oh. say it if you just tell me? <laughs> oh, playmaker, playmaker. Yeah. No. Those tools, I mean, are made to work. I mean, they're basically just editor tools. That's what they are. Yeah. So it's actually. It's, sorry, go ahead. Finish. No, just saying. It's just it, you're. It's capable. You're capable. Unity gives you the tools to create more and bigger and better tools to do things specific to your project. So it's not just you have to use the Unity editor as is vanilla Unity editor. You can extend that editor to do things for your project and for your team uh, or for your artists or for your, you know, visual effects artists or for your audio designer, you know, you can make Unity work better for them. And and if the more you do that, the easier and faster your product production will go. Because if you're just making them do the same things or making them do repetitive tasks or, you know, go eight different ways just to, you know, change a value for a, a, a character. It's just wasting time. So this is a way people should. It's it's, it's yeah. kind of like saying it's a basic feature set. And it's like you're using Unity in the first place to make your game. Like, why are you using Unity? Because it makes it easier. Yeah. And like this is a feature of Unity. Like it's not a it's a sandbox for you to add more stuff to, to make yourself, e- you know, to make it easier for yourself. Exactly. Yeah, no, I get what you guys are saying. And. So if it's okay, I just but, don't uh, agree. I just uh-huh. don't agree. <laughs> yeah. So if you need to um, uh, extend Unity's functionality, do it. Uh, not doing it when you need it is a problem. But the guy is saying having no need to extend Unity basic functionality, dude. If I don't have any need to do it, why? I have so Eduardo's just like, I don't like you saying I'm making a mistake here. Yeah, yeah. That's what <laughs> I don't make mistakes. It is a contextual thing in a case-by-case. Case. I think if you're making, I mean, there, I guess I'm just being picky here. I think if you're making a game, I think you're kind of, you're going to have a need. Sincerely, fuck off. That's what yeah. I just think, I, mean, I just think. Actually, our, our product, we got like a whole character editor in there, and it's really nice because in that situation, you know, it's like we're, we're seeing our characters, we can put them together, and this is in the Unity renderer, so this isn't out in like Max or Maya or some other thing. It's like, oh, this is great, we can put them together and look at them within the technology we're going to be using. Now, you may have something that's like, you know, a much simpler case where you're right. You may, Like, I may have just something that's like one of those little picture shifter games where, you know, you push around the tiles to create a picture, and you, you that's pretty simple. You may not need that, but there may be a reason to write a tool in that. There, would, there the could picture. be. They're like, if you wanted yeah. to import, like, a, a whole folder, you, can, you can't even do imports without having an editor yeah, tool. Go. 
You can't do insert import of multiple assets from a folder without creating your own editor window for it. So I think, and even like menu items, like you, like Ed, or Andrew said, is like to maybe kick off an Android build or kick out an iOS build. Those are some things like you'd have to go to build settings, build, you know, switch platform, whatever it may be, just to kick off a build for Android. Whereas if you had a menu item, that's just, it just makes things a lot easier. And for a game like uh, the picture switcher, like I said, you could create a tool that maybe you can preview different tile sets or different ways or, or randomization just within your editor without having to press play or without having to, hey, download these assets first before doing it. So I think there's having a need, like technically you can build, like we've mentioned in even in our design patterns, you can do pretty much everything you want without using a design pattern. But the purpose of having design pattern is to, you know, basically fortify your code or fortify your, or extend functionality, not extend, but maybe make your code base cleaner, uh, more modular, and more reusable. And that's essentially what editor tools do. It makes your project cleaner, easier, faster, maybe more automated. Uh, so it just adds additional functionality uh, to yeah, the engine. In that case, you have the need for performance and optimize your uh, game development process. If you don't have the need, it's not a mistake. Well, it's a, but you're but you're saying that you have the hundred percent optimal game development process. Though. Yeah, but like, if you want to say that, yeah, okay. If you want to say that, that's fine. We're just saying that I, from from the standpoint that just from the, it's this is kind of like from the programmer standpoint of like it can always be better. Yes. I could do something, no, agree, and as a programmer, like low. Oh, that's what he's saying. He's like, just make sure you're not. I think the 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 general sense of this one is just don't. Forget about that. Like try to like because sometimes it's easy to do project and totally be hard coding weird shit and not forget and you know, forget about this. It's going like oh yeah 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 I could make a little thing here. That's right. And you I know? think we sometimes we get tricked into thinking that we don't have a need because the thing that we're doing is really easy. Like hey, it's easy to go into this class and change this public function. That's really well, it easy. It takes five minutes. Yeah. It only takes yeah. It only takes me two minutes or, or thirty seconds or whatever. But if you I have do it a tool, ten times a day. But... Yeah, I do it ten times a day, or I do it. 20 times or 100 times over the course of my whole product. But if you had a tool that did it in half a second, you don't have to think about it. Or if you even say, and had hey, a tool that an artist could do it with. Exactly. Right? Or you say, hey, someone else can do it. Or, you know, you don't have to even think about it. That's where I think there's the need, essentially. That's a big win. Get somebody else That's, to do your yeah. work. I, yeah. yeah. Don't look at it as a mistake at all. Just look at it. Always keep your eye open. It's a tip. Yes. Keep your eye open. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right, so. I like that better. <laughs> it's just, okay. it's just a tip. <laughs> all right, that's good. Those are the ten tips. They're ten. Sorry, they're not all ten. Recommendations, Edward. Yeah. <laughs> recommendations for Edward. <laughs> yeah. Not saying he's wrong. He's very affronted by this mistake thing. He, this whole the, the previous nine, he's like, I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't. Do that. And yeah. This one, he's like, Wait a second. This article is bullshit. All right. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, we're going to take a break and we will come back. We will have Game of the Week. All right. We're back and now it's time for... All right, tonight's game of the week is sadly a game that's like two years old, I think, at this point, a year it's and a half. So behind Andrews. This is the well. This is the thing. We're we're gonna dig up gems. I just finished <laughs> on the PC, uh, Arkham Knight. It's the uh, third 
the last game from Rocksteady of the Batman series. They started with Arkham Asylum and they went to Arkham City. And now this is Arkham Knight. There's an Arkham Origins not made by them in between those last two, but I I didn't play that one. Um, Nor did I. No. I started and I stopped it. Um, <laughs> and this is the, the Arkham Asylum. The first one of these games got a lot of attention, and because it's it was just it's just an awesome game. It's like it's really one of my favorite games of all time. It's just it it kind of we'll talk about the mechanics because they're all the same. And they moved and it takes place inside of Arkham Asylum. If you're into the Batman mythology, Eduardo. And it's all into that, you know, it's a very contained game and it's so solid and people praise it for that. And then Arkham City, they blew it out into a more open world game. And I think in Arkham City, they or in Arkham Knight, they actually perfected it. And it got a lot of shit earlier on because the PC, remember the PC version of this, right, when it came out? It was like, yeah, it was, oh, fun. Yeah. It was a failure. It like just wouldn't work. And they took it off of Steam after a month. Yeah, it had something. a lot of performance problems, yeah. And that's what, and then they finally eventually like it took them like forever to fix it too, like six months or something. And then they finally put it back up. And I played it on PC and it was perfect. So and I don't have a crazy powerful machine. So I feel like it got a lot of crap and it like might have slid under the radar that time. So I wanted to talk about it just because I think that Rocksteady as a developer is just incredible. Like these games are it, this is an open world game, but it, it's coming. You could play. I told you this offline. Like you could play this as a as a player and go, yeah, yeah, it's fine, it's cool, it's awesome, it's really neat. It's Batman, it has all the stuff. But the amount of systems and interdependent systems they have in this game is incredible. From yeah, it really standpoint. kind of yeah. I mean, it it really sort of boggles the mind, and because they seamlessly flow together too. I mean, because you're flying through the city, and whether it be like. You know, you're just like trying to chase down a criminal, or you then get in the Batmobile and are driving off to your next objective, or you've got you know Riddler stuff to attend to. You know, I mean, it's it's all very seamless, and there's just so much of it. <laughs> right, and and, and like maybe yeah, I, I don't know what the problem. I forget what the problems were with PC at the beginning, but I was kind of marveling over when you play because I bet you could play Fallout Four right now and you still could get some of those Bethesda bugs. You know, oh, I'm talking to somebody and someone just pushes you out of the way and stuff. But I was amazed just thinking about, as we talked in this episode, about people communicating, the art team and everybody, and having kind of common systems and idioms, how you you know plan out the world. Um, I was just thinking about, like, yeah, the, the physics of this might have colliders on the edges of things, you know, and you climb up and you grapple up. And I was literally talking to, you know, in this game, you kind of bring up your forearm, you talk to Alfred sometimes, and it forces you into a walk. Mm-hmm. I was trying to walk off the ledge of a building, which is like, this is going to let me do this. Cause, and it wouldn't let me do it. And that sounds like a simple <laughs> thing, but it's because the, the designers have said, no, that's actually a barrier now. Because the barrier that is a a uh, grapple collider is a barrier when you're in that mode. You know what I mean? It's just a simple thing like that. But if you play any big, no. even GTA game, you don't get that sometimes. That's how you get crazy errors like that. Well, it's attention to detail, right, and user experience. You're right. I mean, he's, what if you're just randomly doing that and then you fall off the edge, die, reload, listen to that again? It's like you're going to be pissed off, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I recommend just any game developer, like if you like Batman, especially if you like Batman, it's a game that make you feel like Batman and play it. But it's it's a it's a master class. I mean, it sounds because we're just used to those games. Like, yeah, yeah, they're out. It's a Batman game. But it's Batman. a master class in polish and like an open world game and having about like a thousand different little mini games within it. And then, you know, just just how much polish and polish is on every one of those things. It's just incredible. Like, I always used to praise it for balance, whereas, like, it used to be really hard. And then, like, you, you keep getting beat in some kind of combat thing. And then you're like, oh, no, let me just change something. And then actually you do better. So I, mm-hmm. I, I praise them for pol- polish all the time. But 
I don't think Rocksteady, maybe because it's a licensed thing and it gets, but I think Rocksteady, I'd like to see what they're doing next. Maybe make a Superman game or something. I don't know what they're doing, but. Or just something completely different. I mean, that would be fine with me too. Because like you said, they just have such a high quality bar that I would be interested in at least checking out like pretty much whatever they did. Yeah. I mean, because I, I mean, you're talking about polish. This is such a very minor thing, but I just remember looking at, like, you know, when you're sort of gliding through the air as Batman, his cape, like, in the rain, and it right. just looks so damn good. Like, just well, the it tatters over time, too. Yeah and, yeah, and then there's, like, little beads of water coming off of it in the rain. It just made you really feel like you're Batman flying through the city. It was just, it was fantastic. I mean, really, when you, like, this is just, I mean, this is all from a developer standpoint. If you just compare it to all the crazy screwed up videos in Mass Effect out right now, and if you watch these weird, like, fail videos, and you're just like, and then people freaking out about that, and sometimes you wonder, well, why are you freaking about, out about this? It's not too bad. I didn't have, I mean, again, they had problems early on with the PC build of this, but what it stands as now, it's like, I'm just, nothing messed up. The the transition to cutscenes, all that stuff is just incredible. I mean, I guess it's unreal, so it's it's just a really, if I think it's worth it if you're a game designer, even a programmer, just to check out the, some of the, the systems that they pulled off and just trying to figure out how they did them. Yeah. It's a, oh, as a, just as a counterpoint too, or well, not a counterpoint, but from a different perspective. Um, like I played it on Xbox One, and like from day one, it was fine. Like it was unfortunate what happened with the PC, but like everything you were seeing, like on the consoles, it, it it pretty much knocked it out of the park. Uh, yeah, that's what it felt like. It was just like a weird porting video card problem. It wasn't right. literally inside of the game mechanics and stuff. So yeah. Because I feel games now they they kind of target the consoles, then we'll sort of get it over to PC, where it used to be the other way around a lot of the time it's like oh we got this pc game let's try to get it onto a console now so yeah so definitely check it out it's not ma- it's not often that i say a game a game is like a master class and just total package and that is i mean even skyrim is one of my favorite games it is not a master class in total package it's a shit storm sometimes of stuff going on it's just fun you know so oh, and I, I will say one more thing about the uh, uh arkham knight is the integration i was talking to andrew about this before the show the integration of the batmobile was sort of like this big new thing and i was like yeah yeah it's probably like some sort of gimmick you can drive the batmobile but no it's it's like deeply integrated in the gameplay and very thought like well thought out so it's not just some stupid thing for transportation i mean there's like street fights with it there's puzzles to solve with it i mean it just it's very well integrated so it's another yeah, fun aspect like you're saying with all these systems yeah that's like you said i'm excited to see what they do next and now they're not making these games anymore so i'm excited to see they'll do yeah. something really cool all right before we get out of here, you want to talk about the Debug Lounge, Zach? <laughs> sure. The Debug Lounge is our Facebook group, uh, semi-exclusive. So uh, if, you wanna, if you want to join, uh, you can either send us a request on Facebook or you can join our newsletter and uh, sign up for that, which comes out monthly, right, guys? <laughs> Yeah. Stop talking about that. Yes, yeah, so you send it out. Are we sending the best? Does the video bad. show come out weekly, Zach? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, about that. Um, we need yeah. more videos, guys. Troll. Do you, do you live in a glass house there? <laughs> <That's too laughs> Anyways, uh, so yeah, it's a great environment where you can talk to other devs, and uh, so if you're having problems, you can post your problems, and some people may be able to help you. Or if you just want to talk about your game, or post just talk problems. about games in general, it's a great place to talk to people. <clears throat> not all problems. We're not like psychologists or anything. Just game. I'll try, I'll try yeah. but I'll probably mess you up. Yeah, he's like, jump <laughs> yeah. off a bridge, please. I'm just kidding. All That's right. horrible. Eduardo, hit me up. Patreon. Yeah, guys. Um, if you like the podcast and uh, well, not only if you like the podcast and you want to support us, uh, 
but we're going to be uh, like doing more things on Patreon uh, when we release the new format of the debug launch. Uh, we're going to have um, you know uh, chats on on the uh, Patreon newsfeed. So if you want to be in the show live uh, when we do it, uh, definitely subscribe to Patreon and. Uh, you will support the podcast um, at the same time. So go to patreon.com slash the debug log and uh, make a pledge. Wow, you dropped a lot of uh, new Uh, teases. We haven't talked about that yet. Exactly. We'll talk about that in the future, debug lounge. We're going to do some fun stuff with that. We have some fun ideas. Word. It just means more content every week or whatever. So Awesome. That was fun. Mistakes, you guys. Made any mistakes tonight you want to talk about? Are we done? Yeah, I think we're done. Every day. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A walking mistake. All right. Until next time, you can catch you on Twitter. I'm at Andrew underscore Curry. That's C-U-R-R-I-E. And I'm at O-Beans. That's O with an H. Beans with a Z. I'm I'm at... Oh, sorry. No, no, no. You don't get that spot. You showed up late in the Twitterverse. All right. (laughs) 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 I'm at R-E Kilgore. K-I-L-L-G-O-R-E. Alright, and I'm at Wookie Jumper42. I'm at Eduardo CF1989. Wow. Alright, we will see you next time. See you guys. <laughs> see you. Not Good way to go out of it. I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, "This didn't mean anything for me. This is some bullshit. <laughs> this is some bullshit, guys." <laughs> <laughs>